G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. Well, Daniel C. is back with us. He's written a handbook that teaches strategies to help set up children and preteens with healthy tech and non-tech habits for life. His new book is called Raising Tech Healthy Humans, How to Reset Your Children's Tech Habits and Give Them a Great Start to Life. Danielson, award-winning author, TEDx speaker and productivity expert. His latest book's also been shortlisted for this year's Australian Christian Book of the Year Awards. Daniel, a special welcome back to 2020. Thank you, Neil. It's great to be here. Hey, Daniel, uh, the book, and I must say I haven't read it, but I understand it's not a long book. It's a two-hour read. It's something that perhaps a lot of people will say, this is just the insight I need. Uh, What's the reasoning behind just a, a short book like this one? Yeah, so look, my last book was a lot longer. It took me a lot longer to write. And I suppose just listening to people and how busy parents are, I realized that we just find it really hard to finish a book. A lot of people read the first 100, 120 pages of a book and they never quite finish it, even if the book is good. And so I just thought, how how do I put in the best stuff and the most important stuff from my parenting conversations, coaching and parenting forums into a, into a short book? And basically, I gave it to my editor and said, let's rip out anything that's not absolutely essential so that parents can read it in two hours. And generally, it's about a two to maybe two hour, 20 minute read. And I think that works for parents. Uh, It will work, certainly. And anyone who's a busy parent uh, may well be attracted by the thought that it's not a, uh, you know, it's not a three week read. Hey, your first book, which was called Space Maker. Uh, it was about tech too, how to unplug, unwind and think clearly in the digital age. Uh, this one's got much more of a focus on the kids. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, I speak with audiences uh, really around Australia and, and sometimes globally around technology overuse. That's what my TED talk was about, which is about why as adults, leaders, professionals, we're feeling overwhelmed, stretched and struggling with attention and focus And some of it, at least, is because of how much we're practicing the internet and what it's doing to our mind and our hearts. Uh, But when I speak, basically, I I have Q&A. And the number one question that has always come up is, well, can you help my kids make space? Because they're even more addicted than me. And uh, and so because of the amount of time I'd spent reading, and I also run parenting forums, I thought, okay, it's time to write a specific book. Because tech and kids is very different from tech and adults, even though some of the the addictive design and some of the uh, problems of inattention and focus are the same, uh, there's a very different thing happening because of the development of their brain. And that's what I wanted to focus on in this book. You know, you use that word addiction, and uh, this is early in our conversation, but I wonder if you've got any thoughts on how this affects kids even more than adults. Um, My suspicion is that kids are even more in that sort of addictive space when they get a hold of this sort of uh, technology. Any thoughts here about the difference between kids and adults and and the way we just get really all consumed by these things? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, How how I go about on this? 
Uh, look, so I don't use the term addiction in my book because I've tried to steer clear of any kind of, uh, well, I, I'm not uh, a medical practitioner, so I wanted to be careful about where I enter and where I don't. But I do know a lot about technology and I've read a lot about technology in the brain. Uh, and so I like the work of da da Dr. Daniel Siegel, and he talks about an upstairs brain and a downstairs brain. And uh, if if you're listening on radio, you won't see this, but if you're watching, if you, if you make a fist, uh, it actually represents the downstairs brain, like the um, brainstem and amygdala, and that's like the fight, flight, freeze parts of the brain. And that's well developed in kids as well as adults. So that's where you touch a stove and whoop, you take your hand off, and then you realize, oh, I've touched a hot stove. So So you react before you think. And uh, that's designed as a mechanism in your brain to protect you from danger. Uh, but then you've got the top part of your brain, the upstairs brain. And so, again, uh, on, on this video, if you put your other hand on top of your fist, it, it represents the squiggly parts of your brain, like the prefrontal cortex. And that's where you develop adult maturity. Uh, we might call it even fruits of the spirit, like love, joy, patience, kindness, humility, self-control. You develop the adult traits that are not in children from birth. They, they don't have empathy in the way that an adult should have empathy. They don't have self-control. They don't have impulse control. They don't have all those adult executive functionings of, of thinking deeply and having conceptual reasoning that develop through practice over time. Now, I need to, to give you that understanding because the problem is with technology, it, it stimulates and ramps up. The downstairs brain, the fight, flight, freeze part, the, the part that creates anxiety and uh, increases uh, particular motivational drugs in your brain, neurotransmitters like dopamine, and actually causes you to be highly engaged but in a somewhat addictive way if your brain isn't old enough and isn't developed. And, and the research is showing that with MRI studies, our last bit of information, that uh, when kids overuse the internet, they don't develop the upstairs brain in the way they should. They lose areas of their brain which are related to empathy and self-control and mood regulation. So essentially kids don't have the type of brain that can manage the highly addictive pokey-like apps and devices that we're giving them at such a young age, which is why it's different than with adults. Well, what a wonderful illustration that is, Daniel, and uh, the downstairs brain, the upstairs brain, and uh, recognising that in that place of the upstairs brain, those sorts of uh, issues around empathy, and you described that really, really powerful if you're bringing a, a scriptural illustration in here, the fruit of the spirit. And uh, listeners who'll know their scriptures uh, out of Galatians and the fruit of the Spirit, uh, that's contrasted to the fruit of the flesh. Mm. And, uh, and that's all sorts of, you know, all, all sorts of bad behaviors. So is there a sense in which, because we're drawn to those bad behaviors, if you don't take some responsibility as a parent and recognize that the fruit of the Spirit is a part of the discipleship of your child, then the fruit of the flesh is more likely to come to the fore with the use of this tech world. Is that a, a reasonable way of suggesting that's, you know, the difference? Yeah, look, I, I mean, obviously tech can be useful and we want to think about the benefits of technology and where it's useful. Uh, but I, I do think that there a, a lot of the design of technology, particularly for kids, uh, apps and games like Minecraft, Fortnite, you know, the, the kind of um, pokey machine-like games that they use are really designed to stimulate parts of their brain, their heart, their mind that uh, are reactive, short-term, and, um, and don't draw them towards, like you said, the fruit of the Spirit. I, I think about another epistle where Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
uh, or Jesus who says that we are to love the Lord our God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. So the question I ask audiences uh, is, how are the technologies and apps you're giving your children, your young children, I'm talking about primary school and younger, uh, how are they uh, impacting a child's heart, mind, soul, and strength? Is it leading them towards Jesus? Is it renewing their mind towards faith, patience, kindness, uh, love, and self-control? Or is it causing causing them to be reactive and irritable and impatient and angry and lose the ability to enjoy the rest of life and relationships. Uh, and so it's it's not a binary thing. It's not black or white, yes or no. But I think we need to really think deeply about the impact of technology on our kids' brain and their, their formation as disciples of Jesus. Okay, it's one thing to talk about how kids' engagement with games uh, or it could be all sorts of things that might be addictive and the things that they might look at online. Uh, but there's also a lot of good stuff that we mm. do want our kids to be uh, astute in the way they handle these things because, you know what, isn't it fabulous if you've got faraway family members when you can do, a, you know, a video call, uh, when you can send a text message, when you can email and use social media for just keeping in touch. Um, a lot of school uh, school homework perhaps is being done on computer and uh, on devices and such things too. So there's all sorts of good things that you don't want to lose, uh, but in some ways you've got to be able to help uh, shape and control these other uh, not so good influences. Is that a, a fair way of balancing things? Mm, absolutely, yeah. No, I mean, I think that the question is always how is this forming my child? Is it forming them to be healthy, loving, well balanced, faithful adults as they grow up? You know, are, are the habits or the digital liturgies of their life forming them in ways that will make them better humans? Or is it forming them in ways that will make them unhealthy? So, I mean, my kids use technology all the time in very particular ways with within boundaries and with filters. And so I love that they're learning to do block-based coding. I love that they're learning Chinese through Duolingo. You know, I love that uh, my son can type faster than me now because of his typing tutor interests. And uh, he's developed his strategy interests because of some of the strategy board games we've given him online. So uh, I, it's not that uh, I think we should disconnect entirely from technology, but I am, I do have a strong message for parents with very young kids that a lot of the apps that are marketed to kids, even educational apps, really aren't good for their brains and their development. So the younger the child, let's say between zero and five, the, the more significantly uh, apps that flash and have lots of colors and lots of movement or variable rewards, like I'm digging, digging in Minecraft and I suddenly get diamonds, that's a pokey machine type mecha- mechanism or where there's social cues, anything to do with like social media where you get likes and, and social reinforcement by being online, all of that is is very powerful in its design and I think too powerful for young brains to use. So television, passive TV screens are quite different. Watching a movie is quite a different thing from the mind than an iPad or an interactive screen, particularly for young kids. And then my advice as kids get older and they need to engage more in the online world is to go slower than the culture around us and to grade up as they grow up, as they develop those executive functions and can demonstrate uh, limitations and self-control and self-awareness of screen time, well, then you can increase, obviously, their use of technology to the point where they're fantastic at technology because they have a healthy brain, a healthy heart, and they know how to put technology within the context of life rather than making it 
the gravitational centre of their life, which is where things become a problem. Daniel, let me ask you about Christian parents, because there'll be some who are so concerned with some of the bad things that can happen in an online environment and use of screen time and addictive nature of children, all those sorts of things. There are some who'll take uh, the measure that says, we will just ban that until they're old enough uh, to be able to, you know, uh, be a little bit more self-controlled with their use of it. And uh, and then the other that says, well, I'm going to just, uh, you know, I'm going to ignore all of that insight because surely this is the way society is going and my kids need to be into this. And, uh, you know, uh, if you avoid or ignore uh, some of these thoughts, the likelihood is you're probably going to have some pretty bad outcomes. Uh, when you think about outcomes, the parent who takes control and the parent who leaves it open slather, uh, what sort of outcomes do you think might look a little different with the, th- the sorts of things that you do to control uh, screen time for your kids? Mm, that's a really good question. And I think it depends on the culture we're in and the age of the child. I, I can't I can't be more... I can't say that enough that the age of the child matters in terms of what's appropriate and what's not. Uh, I had a conversation. I ran a parenting forum in Melbourne a few months ago, and a lady came up to me and she said, oh, look, my, my daughter is really pushing, really pushing hard for a phone, and it's causing pain in our relationship, and I'm worried that you know it'll tear us apart relationally. Uh, and yet I'm just so firm because I know how bad social media is. I've read the research, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, oh, okay. And and she said, oh, my daughter was terrified about me coming to your forum <laughs> because it'll just reinforce what I've said. So I said to the lady, oh, how old's your daughter? And she said, she's 16. I'm like, oh, well, at 16, I think your daughter's nearly an adult and it's probably time to give her a phone. <laughs> and And yes, have filters and have restrictions on how much time she might be on particular apps. But it's probably time to actually lighten up and, and give her a device. So uh, her daughter was pleasantly surprised that she went to a tech forum parenting seminar and ended up with a phone. Uh, but at the same time, I would say to a parent who's, you know, eight-year-old is nagging them for a phone, I'm like, it's way too early. Like, your child does not have the the ability. It's not about their personality. They Their brain does not have the capacity to moderate and and manage the types of addictive design within the apps that you're going to give them in order to actually use that in a safe and healthy way. If you need their, them to have a phone for safety, then give them a dumb phone that doesn't have the internet. Uh, but the internet is an incredibly powerful device and it opens your world to the adult world. And and so it's, it's about when and how and then and even when they get their phones and their tablets and devices don't give it to them out of the box. Make sure that there are contracts and filters and, and guardrails in place so that they don't get a fully-fledged open adult device as a child. Uh, so I hope that helps. It, it's it's nuanced. <laughs> yes, it's, well... It's not a black-and-white answer. You know, the should I, shouldn't I, and what age is appropriate, uh, in some sense, this is just uh, getting out of the starter blocks, isn't it? Because... My suspicion is that uh, lots of parents are not thinking of a discipleship issue with their kids uh, when they're thinking of that. They might be thinking of a protection issue, but when you start to introduce discipleship into there, then you've got to be able to say, what do we do with uh, the steps that we do take and the things that we do allow? And discipleship, this is one of those things that you've taken a great interest in. 
Oh, absolutely. So, look, just for a definition, I mean, I, I, I think discipleship is the main game for Christianity. <laughs> and Jesus talks a lot about discipleship. He doesn't talk a lot about Christianity or being a Christian. Uh, so, disciple is the word disciple in Greek is mathetes. I used to be a pastor for 10 years, so there is a bit of a background here. So, mathetes basically means pupil or learner, but the, probably the more accurate translation in our Western context is apprentice. Uh, John Mark Comer and Dallas Willard use apprentice of Jesus instead of disciple of Jesus. And I really like that because an apprentice is someone who orientates their heart, their mind, their soul, their strength, their habits around the person of Jesus to become like uh, he would be if he was them. So like an apprentice builder becomes an apprentice. Well, it's about copying Jesus in terms of our habits and our, our mindsets. And I totally agree that if we start with discipleship as our foundation, if we're Christian families, well, then that's absolutely the right place to start. Once you start with cyber safety and bullying and uh, all that kind of, um, and you know, online pornography, that stuff's really, really important to tackle. But I, I see that as like hospital care. I used to be a physiotherapist as well, as opposed to primary care, where it's like, well, primary care is prevention. And, and the prevention is putting in the right sets of boundaries and guardrails to start with before you end up with like a hospital issue. Um, and that's what discipleship is. So um, may I just give one more story about uh, sure. Raise adults, not children. So, yeah. so when my child, my first child was born, my my best friend Mick said, "Don't forget, you're raising adults, not children." And I loved that. And I write about this in my book. And he he wasn't saying we should give our kids adult responsibilities before their time, uh, because there's something beautiful about play and running in the ba- along the beach naked and you know having tantrums and having fun and frivolity. Like play is an incredibly important part of childhood that creates healthy adults but what he was saying is when you make decisions think about the end in mind think about what type of disciple they will be what type of person you're forming through the habits they're creating Uh, so if they don't eat their veggies on a regular basis will that make them a better adult probably not you know if they don't go to bed on time well it probably won't create a healthy adult who can sleep and and have healthy disciplines and boundaries and so therefore you put in the hard work when they're young uh, I suppose the question needs to be asked with the technologies we give our kids, how might this device or use of this screen time or use of this app, uh, how might that form their mind, their heart, their their habits in the ways of Jesus? What will be the consequence to their long-term adulthood by engaging in this for two, three hours a day? Uh, and And that's the way we need to think. That's a discipleship way of thinking. Does that make sense, Neil? That makes sense. Hey, Daniel, let's talk about children. It's all very well for a parent to dictate what their children ought to do uh, with their online device. Um, I imagine, though, parents have got to model the sort of healthy habits. This is where it gets tricky because now you've got parents adjusting to some of the great insights you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And look, my first book was primarily for adults recognising it started because I recognized how much I was online and that there was a digital liturgy in my life that was actually shaping who I was and who I was becoming. And it was an accidental liturgy. You know, I would reach for my phone first thing in the morning and I would just automatically turn off my alarm clock and then I would press Gmail and I would start working. You know, whereas a few years before I used to wake up and pray and read the Bible. And I didn't mean to create that liturgy. It just happened. And it didn't just happen. It was designed through the tech companies of the apps I use. But, uh, and then I found at the end of the day, you know, there was one moment where I looked and I was in bed with my wife and, uh, I'm, I'm scanning something online and she's playing a game on her phone. And here, here we are, you know, next to the love of our lives. We've both got three kids. We're, we're super busy with work 
And the moment we have to be quiet with our kids and we could talk and down, you know, unpack each other's day, or I don't know, do other things that married couples should do. Uh, we're, 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 you know, playing with Siri. And, and I was like, oh, how did this happen? And so I realized that I have a relationship with my phone. And actually, the relationship that I, I model with the online world is what I'm going to create as a family culture. So my first habit in the book out of the seven habits is start with self. Start by looking at what you're imitating. It's another discipleship issue. You know, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Uh, what am I modeling and how are my own digital habits and those in my family uh, creating a message for my kids. Does that make sense? It does make sense. 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call. Rebecca is on the Gold Coast in Queensland. Hi, Rebecca. Welcome along. Hi, Neil. Thanks for having me. What are your thoughts? Um, oh, I've been loving everything in the conversation. It's been really helpful. Thank you. Um, and I was just wondering, um, the guest speaker mentioned that Minecraft was quite an addictive game. I can't stand video games myself, so I've never played them. Um, but our kids got exposed to Minecraft at school and they quite enjoy it. Is there another suggestion that's better that's less addictive than Minecraft? Uh, Daniel? it's a great question. Uh, look, <clears throat> I, there are many different games and many apps out there. Unfortunately, the most popular ones are designed to be highly addictive. <laughs> that's why they're <laughs> popular. Uh, you know, Glow Kids is an interesting book that goes really hard at Minecraft and it talks about the design of Minecraft and how the uh, the designers actually looked at the pupils of kids and and tried to create intentional design in the game so that their pupils would dilate and they would end up with fight and flight responses because, again, uh, that makes a game more exciting but it also ramps up the downstairs brain. Uh, in, in order to answer your question, look, I, I don't have an answer in terms of new stuff. I can Maybe I'll just share what I've done, but again, I'm a mm -hmm. bit of a Luddite when it comes to games because I have significant I have significant concerns with some of the newer games that are on the market that are popular. Uh, right. So with my son, and I talk about this in the book, he is really into strategy and he's really into games. And so I was like, okay, how do I get him engaging in games without some of the games that I didn't want him engaged in? So we just did research. And in the end, like I found a game called um, Civilization 6 VI and 5, which are old games that just keep running out, running through uh, they've been great they're high level strategy games but they don't have flashing colors and lights they don't have variable rewards and they don't have social cues uh, and he plays that game uh, it's complex and it's actually really hard but it tests his brain uh, for the very first games i played i actually went to like some of the old games i used to play like bubble bubble and downloaded them for free and the kids loved them for a few years um, and, and I like the Wii actually, like the old Wii and some of the old games are great. So look, unfortunately I'm, I'm not, I'm not up with the games enough, but I think the basically, the basic principle is this, if it looks like a pokey machine, because it's flashing and moving kind of crazily, if it gives you a headache looking at the movement, like first and yeah. third player games are often like that, or lots of bright colors like Candy Crush, uh, it is designed to be a poking machine, okay? And if, if it has rewards where you have to play and then suddenly you get random rewards and and you get lots of rewards to start with, but then the rewards slow down and so you have to play longer to get the same rewards, that's a poking machine. Uh, and the other yep. poking machine is when you get likes and and you have to play with other people. Like Snap Streaks is a classic. You know, if you don't snap back, you lose a friend. Uh, that's a poking machine. So if they don't have those three key components, well, then it's designed probably more for education and for learning or for for healthy entertainment as opposed to the newer games. It's just hard to find new ones that don't have that design. I'm sorry, <laughs> yeah, I don't have an easy answer. 
Rebecca, is that helpful? It is. Thank you very much. Rebecca, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation today. Let's take another call. Melody is in Andamooka in South Australia. Hi, Melody. Welcome. Oh, good day. Thank you. Um, I've just realised your guest, I was horrified. It seems to me he's using his phone to wake him up. I thought... Hasn't he got an alarm clock, a good old-fashioned alarm <laughs> clock, and then he can put his phone to bed at night? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's a, that's yep. excellent advice. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, your your phone has an alarm on it, and uh, it's the easiest one, I guess, these days to set because you can be uh, you can set it uh, to all sorts of. Uh, you know specifics uh, according to what day and what time and what week and you can have ongoing alarms all sorts of things so yes your phone becomes very valuable and of course uh, of course Daniel you're not talking about outlawing your phone uh, but we're talking about how you might use your device in a discipleship sense and you know kids are going to be needing these sorts of alarms as well aren't they uh, do you give your kids an old-fashioned analog alarm clock uh, rather than allow them to wake up with their phone uh, what are your thoughts here for, for melody yeah, well look firstly i was great great comment melody and uh, it was a wrestle that i had you know when i decided to get my phone out of my bedroom which i do charge my phone out of my bedroom now the hardest thing was how do i wake up i actually found that a barrier and bizarrely that is the barrier that comes up again and again when i say to adults charge your phone outside your bedroom uh, so you know I, I find old-fashioned alarm clocks a bit obnoxious what I've ended up doing is um, I've used an old iPhone that has no apps and no devices on it uh, no internet and it's like a two thousand dollar alarm clock <laughs> and that's all it does so that ended up being my solution uh, some people use Fitbits and Garmin's or uh, other technologies like Google Nest which don't have the ability to kind of dive in but you know I agree it's, it's a good point for kids it's different though for kids no phones in bedrooms and all cyber safety experts pretty much all parenting experts say that uh, the average there was uh, some American data where 10% um, of kids check their phone at least 10 times during the night uh, I was chatting with a school principal of a large Christian school I won't say where uh, this was just last week and they track the data use of their kids using their own you know using school devices and what they notice is around six o'clock there's a peak in internet usage because they're doing their homework and they're finishing their online assignments and then it slowly drops off uh, around kind of seven eight nine o'clock ten o'clock it's almost zero and at 11 30 12 o'clock it spikes up again way way higher than at any point during the day uh, and then it continues until about I think one or two o'clock in the in the evening. So if you give your kids a device, they will use it in the middle of the night. They will be sleep deprived. They will end up being exposed to bullying and online problems. So the number one thing you can do as a as a parent is say no devices and no internet in their bedrooms. Hey, uh, we'll take some calls, uh, some more as they come through, Daniel. Um, when we're talking electronic devices, handheld ones. Uh, there's an interesting uh, concept that if you're in front of a desktop computer, you're more likely to be creative. But if you're holding a handheld device, uh, somehow rather that encourages consumption. Is there something about the tech that our kids have, whether it's a mobile device or something that's on a desktop? Is there any, any special differences that you're aware of? Hmm, that's an interesting observation. I haven't heard that specific one, but it doesn't surprise me. Uh, yes, I think there's a, there's a tremendous difference between, let's say, a passive screen, one that you're watching and observing, uh, versus an active, particularly interactive screen like a tablet or a phone. There's lots of 
reading and research coming out about that. Uh, the two key principles I like to teach about, one is uh, near work and far work, and the other one is about um, uh, passive versus active or lean in, lean, lean back technology. So uh, a passive screen like a television is typically a lean back technology because you're not doing anything with it. And kids look lazy when they're watching the TV, right? They look like they're just slobbing around and not doing much. But ironically, it's probably better for their brain, particularly young kids, than the lean-in type of interactive, engaging iPads, particularly for young kids, where it's stimulating the anxiety and dopamine parts of their brain, which ne don't necessarily help them. Uh, so you could have two hours that the research says you can watch two hours of like a passive screen before kids really, it really starts to impact their sleep. Whereas half an hour of an interactive screen game uh, that looks like a poking machine can interact, can can impact their sleep because it's slightly different. So the recommendation is where possible, um, go a bit slower on some of those highly interactive devices. The, the other one is near work and far work. And this is tremendously important that a handheld device is held really close to your face, like 30 to 40 centimeters. And the eyes were never designed to spend hours and hours looking at that distance. I mean, if you were to come to me, Neil, and start having a conversation with me 30 centimeters from my face, I'd feel very uncomfortable because yes. humans were never meant to spend hours looking at that distance. Uh, and and yet a few a, a meter or so back, like a TV screen, is better, which is far work. And the problem is that the World Health Organization now say that 50% of the entire world's population will be myopic or nearsighted by 2025, uh, 2050 because of our use of screens and of staying indoors, both of which are tremendously bad for our eyesight. And so young kids in particular are vulnerable. Uh, the research is very clear that the younger the child, six to eight-year-olds, are much more vulnerable to create to developing myopia and nearsightedness and long-term visual problems when they use a, a, a an up-close screen on a regular basis. Uh, once they hit 10 years old, their visual system and their brain has developed to the point where the risks go down unless they already have myopia. So we need to think about, again, screens in young kids and the devices they use. And thinking about what they'll be as adults and uh, whether they'll look good with that set of glasses. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, hey. look, I, we, you and I both have glasses on, yes, right? So yes, we do. It's not about glasses. I do want to say this because obviously, <laughs> look, glasses work. The, problem, the real problem is that um, when kids have severe myopia, by the age of 70, they have a 90% chance of being blind or visually impaired. It's more like a, it's more like skin cancer when it comes to severe myopia. So if if we rapidly increase the rate of um, nearsightedness in young kids, they will have significant risks of long-term visual issues when they're older. So it's not about glasses. It's about preventing uh, the, the, the significant impact of long-term uh, myopia. And, and that's, that's where I think it's more like when, screens being up close or far away for entertainment is more like putting sunscreen on to avoid skin cancer 40 years later. And, you know, I was reading an article just recently about this sort of uh, issue around uh, eyesight and uh, you can actually do some good things in a therapeutic way for your eyesight by being outdoors and focusing on things that are longer distance and actually, uh, you know, your gaze from left uh, to right and then back again, just exercising your eyes. Which brings us to this thought of, you know, one of your one of your starter framework issues is actually encouraging adventures. It's very easy to encourage an adventure online, a little bit more difficult and a little bit more time-consuming perhaps for a parent to encourage adventures. But I imagine you're talking about not things that are online, but adventures on things that are happening online. Uh, 
if you've got time, afternoons or evening or into the weekends. What are your thoughts here on encouraging adventures? Yeah, absolutely. I think adventure. So I said, uh, uh, the starter framework is an acrostic, and one of one of the principles is to encourage yeah real life adventures away from a screen because they increase our happiness and our joy and our sense of resilience. Uh, Jonathan Hage says that we've moved from a play-based childhood culture where we would go outdoors and kick a ball and play with our friends until the sun went down to a screen-based culture. And even if as a parent you want your kids to go outside, it's actually really hard to do that nowadays because no one's outside. Uh, And actually, like you said, the number one predictor of myopia is not being outdoors enough for kids. So uh, we do need them to be outdoors, not just for vitamin D and mental health, but also for their vision. But it's actually really hard to do. And I think culture has changed and we need to keep fighting as kind of communities to change it back in some way. Um, when I, I'm from Adelaide originally I, and there used to be an amazing playground. Uh, I don't know if you ever knew of it called Monash Adventure Playground. And it was this, oh, it was amazing. It was actually the biggest tourist attraction in South Australia in the 80s at some point with like 300,000 visitors. And there was this... Um, philanthropic farmer who basically created 200 metal play pieces and there was this like enormous slide that was like i don't know 40 meters off the ground and and it was so hot in summer we had to put hessian bags on ourselves to not kind of get skin burns going down this enormous slide uh and and there were these incredible dangerous play pieces which were just unbelievably fun and so many kids from south australia remember the good old days when monash existed uh but then one one person uh, put a litigation you know, for like a sprained ankle to the council in the 90s and the council freaked out and closed it down and they put in a few hundred thousand dollars and reopened it with like very, very boring <laughs> play equipment. <laughs> a tiny slide, <laughs> like swings that were so safe that even the ground couldn't make you sore. Uh, and, and no one goes anymore. You know, and I, I think it's a good analogy in my mind for how we've shifted so quickly from a culture of safety where we've become so obsessed with safety in some forms of safety that we don't let our kids do things that just give them life and joy and resilience. And it's actually creating the opposite problem rather than making them safe. They're actually unsafe because they're terrified of the world and they're on screens and exposed to things that are actually dangerous rather than kicking a ball and riding a bike and climbing a tree and being outdoors with their friends. And so we need to get back to some of those adventures that actually make us happy. Does that make I don't know if that connects. You know, as a family and uh, perhaps as a mother-father unit, you might be thinking about how you plan those sorts of adventures and uh, not just something that's just off the cuff, uh, you know, right now let's go and do something, but you've got to sort of plan these things into your family life. I I imagine that, you know, busy families find it hard to do those sorts of plans, but uh, somehow or other you've got to talk together and you've got to make the plan. And and I imagine that even sharing your plans with your children brings and builds excitement. Any thoughts here around families that are talking? And is this the sort of thing you'd include in a conversation as you're talking about screen time and the things that we're accessing online? And and bringing the alternative and saying, hey, we're going to encourage some great family adventures. Well, you're spot on. You're absolutely spot on. I'm I'm very conscious that we don't want to be people who just say, no, 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 no more screen time, no more time on screens, you know, don't be online so much. And then offer kids nothing to do as a result because they can't just go outside and play with their friends anymore because their friends are online. <laughs> it's really tough. So, so as Stephen Covey, a productivity guru, says, you know, you want to say no for a greater yes. 
And what are the greater yeses that you can offer? And I think some of them are, are adventures. Now, when I say adventures, I don't mean they have to be hardcore kind of going out to the bush or, you know, doing significant mountain biking type adventures. I just mean anything that involves outdoor or interesting social activity that's not on a screen. Uh, so in my book, I have an appendix of 100 non-screen activities that you can do with your kids. And a lot of people have just printed off that list and they just think about, OK, well, what could we do? This week, let's try to tick off one or two of these kind of activities uh, over time. Uh, wh one of the funny ones is I, I don't know, I just had an idea and I, it was like create a bouquet, collect a, a bouquet of wildflowers. And my kids read the audio book. They, they actually read that section in the audio book and uh, they just laughed their heads off because I've never gone and picked a bouquet of wildflowers. <laughs> and they thought it was so funny. And then the next day they came home from school and they walk home from school from the bus stop and they all presented me with this little bouquet of wildflowers that they'd collected along the way, which was really quite funny. But again, you just have to give creative ideas to kids and, and, and then model it and get them out there and do it a bit with them. Uh, set up the environment and, and they'll usually take it from there and experience a great lot of joy from it. Then you'll come back to the faith and discipleship elements of what we need to take control of as parents and be an influence on our children. Uh, because my thoughts go to, I wonder whether the sorts of things you talk about in your book might be useful in children's ministries, uh, like Sunday schools or kids' church-type ministries or youth ministries in church, ways that churches can actually add value to the families who are a part of what they're doing. Churches can take an interest in here because I know you uh, are working with some schools. You mentioned your interactions with a school. Uh, you'd like to see more opportunities for schools here. So for groups using your booklet, your little handbook, as some way of uh, being a blessing into the families that we're connected with, how, how can that work, do you think? Mm. Yeah, look, the last principle, in, last principle in my framework, the starter framework, is to rely on others. Uh, and, you know, I'm a, I'm a tremendous believer in community and Christian community and the power of community to shape culture and to create countercultures, which is what we're meant to do as believers of Jesus in the world around us, to be salt uh, and light. And, and that's really hard to do as a parent. You know, I have a 16-year-old girl and a, an 11-year-old boy, and I've seen a tremendous difference in the social pressure on parents to get kids social media and, and interactive devices and games at a young age comparing my 11-year-old boy to when my daughter was 11 just five years before. Does that make sense? Culture has shifted massively in a very short amount of time. So we need to support and back each other as communities. Uh, and, and there's a tremendous difference being the only parent in a school whose child doesn't have Snapchat when they're in year three versus the only one whose parent like being like in a sea of parents and only one or two kids do have Snapchat. Does that make sense? Like, and so I think the only way we're going to be able to tackle this in the interim until legislation comes in and it will come in. Uh, the research is now strong enough for the American Surgeon General to say that social media is not safe for children. It has not been deemed safe. It increases uh, three hours or more on social media every day, which is the average for a teenager in America uh, now increases depression, suicide, self-harm, body image issues, uh, there is a tremendous mental health and anxiety epidemic 
caused by social media. There's enough research to say that now. So legislation will come in. Uh, it's like when we knew cigarettes were dangerous, but legislation hadn't come in. We still had <clears throat> ashtrays in hospitals. So, so we're going to have to do it ourselves in the interim until the government steps in. And so I'm really passionate about working with schools to help shift the conversation across a whole collective or across a church community and to get parents to talk about this, not not to create uniform rules and to make it like legalistic, but for parents to understand the impact of some types of devices and apps and games on their kids' mind, to understand the impact of early social media usage on their mental health and anxiety levels as they grow up, and to have some practical ways to, for example, not have social media in primary schools, uh, and to actively from a principal down to say, we do not support or encourage uh, social media in primary school, partly because it's illegal. I mean, you have to say you're 13 when you're not 13, but we want TikTok, Instagram, and Snapchat out of our primary schools. And I'm seeing uh, great benefits when Christian independent schools, uh, for example, take the book, hand it out to every kind of parent, uh, have conversations around it, uh, or bring in other experts from different fields and have these tech conversations to create healthier humans which are healthier disciples of Jesus. Well, as a parent, I imagine there is partly this responsibility because while you're thinking of your own family, you often will know the parents of your children's friends. And certainly when it's a church organisation, there may be children's church ministries, there may be a youth leader, there's people that you can interact with there. And certainly for that parent uh, who knows the school principal at their school and the, the teachers of their children in their classroom, uh, there's going to be opportunity there for just uh, spreading that word because uh, you've got to be able to, as you say, I think uh, relying on others about how you build community. And here's a really proactive way, if you've got young children, of building community that's going to actually have a huge different outcome uh, for children if uh, if they're, you know, for those that are just left to their own devices and uh uh, growing up addicted to these devices, that's got a different outcome than if you take control and responsibility as a parent. Hey, let's talk about, uh, you've had some interaction with parents and uh, you've you've asked them what their best experiences of childhood were. If you're talking about creating childhood experiences, creating memories for your own children, giving them some foundation to grow up in, even in a faith and discipleship sense, uh, what have parents said to you about their best experiences? Mm, yeah, no, I love this question. I, I, I do parenting seminars around the country or speak it on, as keynotes, and I always ask the question, think about the best moments of your childhood and yeah, just pick a time and think about where you were, who you're with, and what made that experience so memorable for you. And classically, their memories of being outdoors, being with people who they love, being in community, doing something adventurous, uh, and, th and they're rarely indoors or online. Uh, like I asked my kids, who are pretty young still, I said, what have been some of the best memories of your life? And I love their responses. They, they talked about the time they jumped on a trampoline with their friend. And that's it. They talked about how I played guitar to them at night to help them fall asleep. And I'm a really rubbish guitar player. <laughs> but... But dad played them guitar at night, and it was one of the best memories of their life so far. Uh, they talked about when we went to this kind of mini golf place, and something funny happened, and we laughed. And and the the memories were so simple, and they were relational. They were always with always with loved ones, friends, family, community, just doing everyday life. And none of the experiences were about the time where 
I don't know, we won a particular level on a game or the time where we even had a family movie night. Like, I'm not not trying to neglect the value of online entertainment and activity. And uh, the book is not an anti-tech book. There's lots of positive ways you can use tech with your kids and have conversations and use tech in creative and constructive ways. It's, it's not a don't use tech book. But uh, I do call it Raising Tech Healthy Humans because I want us to get back to the vision of humanity, uh, the vision of human flourishing, which I think is a biblical vision. And a lot of that is about doing stuff that is real and raw and spiritual and communal and relational because they're the moments that we'll look back on at the end of our life and think, wow, I'm so glad I spent time riding my bike with my friend. I'm so glad that I spent time eating spaghetti bolognese with my cousins uh, or that I went camping and cooked marshmallows. They, they won't remember the other times. They won't have those deep moments of significance. So, if that's the case, why not major on more of those moments in your life right now as a family and as a school and as a church community uh, and think about what really matters and then put tech within the context of a broader humanity rather than making it the centre of all we do. Uh, and that's really the vision of why I called it Raising Tech Healthy Humans. It's about raising humans uh, it, who love life, who love God. Yeah, It raises a whole big issue, doesn't it? Because the parent who says, I want faith and discipleship to be a part of my parenting responsibility. I want our family to grow up uh, knowing God, knowing his ways. There's a challenge here, isn't there, to make that discipleship fun so that your children will remember the fun activities they did in a faith context, in a way of being discipled. And as you said earlier, uh, being apprenticed, uh, those those things have got to have a fun element too as well. I mean, there are, sometimes there are serious things that you're going to be talking about, but maybe the environment you're doing and using to talk about those things, a fun environment that's creating a memory. Is that a, an important element or is, uh, or, you know, have I gone off the, off the track here? What are your thoughts here, Daniel? No, look, I think life should be fun. I imagine Jesus laughing and playing and being quite frivolous in, in some ways with his disciples as well as serious. Uh, you know, I love the Shema from Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And and then he talks about when you're walking, when you're talking, when you're on the road, when you're at the dinner table, then talk about the law of God. And there's this sense that all of life should be infused with faith. That's what discipleship is, not to separate it. You know, I'm, I have faith on a Sunday morning or faith when I'm singing worship songs, but I don't have faith when I'm at the dinner table or faith when I'm doing jobs with my kids. So in that sense, I think uh, discipleship involves uh, faith when we're doing the dishes and getting our kids to learn to be adults. Uh, faith when we're watching family movie night together and talking about the characters and the heroes and the things we liked and the things we didn't like. You know, faith when we're riding bikes and they fall down and we get them to get up and try again. Uh, faith when they're learning to read and write because they need to develop their brain and actually contribute to the world in a kingdom way. So discipleship is all of it and tech is part of that, but, but discipleship is the main game. Well, Daniel, I think you've won a few new friends, a new fan or two, and there'll be some who are going to be saying, how do I get a hold of Daniel's handbook? And when you can consume it in around two hours, it's not going to be heavy weight, and it's something that you can use in the groups that you're a part of, whether it's your friendships with the families, the parents of your children's friends, or whether it's through your children's church ministry in your local church or the youth minister or your school teachers, the teachers of your children or the principal. 
uh, all sorts of ways that you can help build community and help there to be some very good habits formed in your children. Well, Daniel's handbook uh, that teaches strategies to help set up children and preteens with healthy tech and non-tech habits for life is called Raising Tech Healthy Humans. How to reset your children's tech habits and give them a great start to life. And you can get some free resources. And here's a website that you can go to, access those free resources, and undoubtedly you'll be able to get a hold of the book. You might even be able to find out how you can get multiple copies of the book because it might be useful building community to have an opportunity like this. Here's the website, raisinghumans.au forward slash gift to access those free resources. Now, when there's free resources, there's free infographics that describe some of the things we've talked about over this past hour. There's activities for kids there on those free resources. There's digital contracts that you might have as parents with your children around getting control of those habits that we have with screen time. And you'll be able to access interviews that Daniel has done with people around the world. That website is raisinghumans.au forward slash gift. Daniel C., uh, wonderful getting your insights today, I must say, and uh, always enjoy our conversations. But thank you so much uh, for sharing your heart and your insights with listeners today on 2020. No, thank you so much. It's been a joy to speak to you as usual. Thanks, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.